Today we begin the book of Esther. Bruce did a great job sharing the story of what goes on in the book of Esther. My invitation to you is, read this book. It's a really, really fascinating read. Lots of intrigue, lots of adventure. Uh, It's a great read. Take some time. We're going to be reading through it uh, on Sunday mornings here, but it was too long. It's 10 chapters. We couldn't sort of read it all at once uh, on a Sunday morning. But I, I encourage you and invite you Uh, to read along with us over the next five weeks as we're looking at this book. Now, I'm often asked, how did we choose which books of the Bible we're going to be preaching on on a Sunday morning? We just finished Ruth. Uh, We're part of a series here called uh, Rescued, Restored, and Ready, in which we're looking at Ruth, Esther, and then the Gospel of Mark. And the question I sometimes get asked is, How did you pick those books? And the answer is, well, I prayed about it, and God told me we were supposed to do Esther along with Ruth and Mark. Now, some of you hear me say that, that God told me we were supposed to do the book of Esther, and you don't give a second thought to that. Uh, That's very encouraging to you. You're glad to know that people here are praying about such things. And when I say God told me we were supposed to study the book of Esther, uh, you don't bat an eye. For others, however, the language of God told me we're supposed to study the book of Esther makes you feel slightly uncomfortable. And you might think to yourself, well, what do you mean by that? And how did that happen? And perhaps you have other people in your life who are very quick to say God said this or God did this or perhaps see or talk about God the way that I often talk about God in sort of black and white terms and sort of God told me this or God told me that. And in your heart, you're kind of like, yeah, that's not the way I would prefer to talk about this. And perhaps you feel a little bit like, well, I'm not sure that I hear God the same way that you hear God. Or perhaps you read in the Bible where someone has God do something really powerful or really uh, amazing or speak in a very clear way. And you think to yourself, that doesn't happen to me. Or I'm not experiencing that. And you might wonder, is something the matter with me? Am am I doing something wrong that I'm not running around using the same kind of God told me language uh, that Jim uses? Now, one of the problems is is because I'm the primary preacher at the church, and I'm the one who's probably the most visible member of our pastoral staff, you most normally hear how I interact with and talk about God. However, that's not the only way to interact and talk about God. And so what I have for us this morning is an alternative way to speaking about and thinking about God's involvement in our lives besides the way that I often do it, which is in sort of black and white, God told me, God showed up, God rescued, God did all of this stuff. And what I want to share with you is something from the Lord about how others might be able to talk about God or think about God in more subtle ways less black and white, less stark God told me sort of language. Now I have to tell you up front that the way that I want to share with you from the scriptures about speaking about God this morning doesn't come naturally to me, but it might come naturally to you. 
And I want you to understand that God has a variety of ways of thinking about his engagement and involvement in our lives. And what we want to guide how we think about and talk about God is not simply how I do it, or how your spouse does it, or how your children do it, or how people in your small group do it. But what we want to guide how we think and talk about God is what he says in his word. So I'd like you to take a Bible, and please turn to the book of Esther, chapter 6. Esther, chapter 6. Esther's in the Old Testament. You can look it up in the table of contents. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 399. That's chapter 6 of Esther. And we're going to look together in this kind of introductory idea uh, for this book at the turning point in the story. The turning point in the story. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Now, this is the turning point in the book. Bruce did a fantastic job of explaining what's happened so far in the story. There is a man, Xerxes, who's the king of Persia. He has a wife, Vashti, who when he invites to come show off her beauty, she refuses. He deposes her as queen does a empire-wide search, a beauty pageant, if you will, discovers Esther, this Jewish woman, makes her queen. Esther has this cousin, or Uncle Mordecai, who has been raising her. And because Esther becomes queen, Mordecai spends a lot more time hanging out at the palace. One of the days while he's there, he overhears a plot to overthrow Xerxes. He reports the plot. It's foiled. And what he did is written down in the records. However, Xerxes forgets about the fact that Mordecai has done this. And the story goes on. Meanwhile, Haman, who as Bruce said, is sort of the prime minister in the land, hatches a plot to annihilate or kill all of the Jews. This is a very real Hitler-like event. A holocaust is planned where Haman wants to exterminate and kill every single living Jewish person in the Persian Empire. That's the first half of the story, and when you're reading the story, and I encourage you to read it because it's really a fascinating read, we get to chapter 6, And everything is going in the wrong direction for God's people. Everything is working against them. They are on the verge of being annihilated and killed. And chapter 6, verse 1, is the turning point in the whole story. The king wakes up in the middle of the night, and he says, I need something to put me back to sleep. And so he basically turns on C-SPAN. That's what this is. He says, 
Give me the records. Like, let somebody come in and read me what's going on and what's been happening in the empire. And the person happens to randomly choose a passage, and it's about Mordecai. And when the king hears about Mordecai, that starts the events that bring about ultimately the rescue of the Jewish people. And the second half of the book of Esther is about how this rescue takes place. But the amazing thing about chapter 6, verse 1, which is the turning point, everything shifts from this point on. The amazing thing is that God is not mentioned in the verse. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Now, the most salient feature of the book of Esther is not only is God not mentioned in that verse, he's not mentioned in any verse in the book of Esther. Nowhere. Ten chapters, not one single mention of God. 167 verses, and God appears in zero of them. This is stunning. No other book in the Bible is like this at all. After all, God is the main character in the Bible. And yet, here we have this biblical book in which God is not mentioned at all. Now, I chafe at this. (laughs) This is uncomfortable for me. In fact, when you read the book of Esther, you know God has to be engaged. He has to be involved. Why would this book be in the Bible if God's not part of it? But to this point, God's not mentioned, but you have to look for him in the seeming coincidences that have been happening. Up until this point, there's really way too many coincidences that have happened in the book of Esther. Let me give you a list of them. First of all, what are the odds that Queen Vashti, who's been the queen for some time, chooses this season as the time to make her stand and to tell King Xerxes, hey, look, I'm not here for you to show off as your trophy wife anymore, and she gets deposed. Likewise, what are the odds that the king would go through an empire-wide search, and of all of the thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of women, that he would just happen to find this young Jewish girl named Esther. And as you continue reading the story, what are the odds that her cousin Mordecai, who happens to be a leader among the Jews, would just happen to be hanging out by the palace and just happen to overhear a plot to overthrow the king? What are the odds that when it's time to cast lots for when the Holocaust is going to be, that it would show up, now I put December, Bruce said March, he's really more right than I put up here. It's the 12th month. I put December because it's the 12th month in our calendar, but it actually, the 12th month in the Jewish calendar is March. 
But the point is, what are the odds that when they're casting lots for the month, it is the last possible date that it could have showed up? Giving God plenty of time to work out all that needs to be worked out so that the Holocaust doesn't happen in this situation. What are the odds that Xerxes wakes up in the middle of the night and this is the passage that happens to be read? Now, it's going to continue, these seeming coincidences. As soon as the, as soon as the night is over in chapter 6, after Xerxes has read what Mordecai has done, guess who the first person to walk into the throne room happens to be? Haman. He thinks he's going to get honored, and he ends up being dishonored through this. And then, at this banquet, when Esther reveals the fact that she's Jewish and tells of Haman's plot, Xerxes gets so angry, he leaves the room. When he comes back in, Haman has fallen on to Esther to beg her for mercy What are the odds that Xerxes walks in at that very moment, thinks that Haman is sexually assaulting his wife, and that seals his guilt? When you read the book of Esther, you can't help but think, look, this cannot possibly be coincidence. All this stuff couldn't possibly have happened by chance. And nowhere is that more clear than chapter 6, verse 1. Really. The king can't sleep. He just happens to randomly pick a book to be read to him. The person who's reading the book for which there are hundreds and probably thousands of entries happens to choose the one short little paragraph that talks about Mordecai, and that's the turning point in the whole book. Part of me wants to scream out, God woke him up. God's the one who did this. In fact, I'm not the only one who felt this pressure. The first people to translate the book of Esther ever, this was done a couple of hundred years before Jesus came on the scene, the Hebrew book of Esther and the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, into something we called the Septuagint. And the translators in chapter 6, verse 1 slip the Lord into the verse. If you look at the Greek translation of the book of Esther in chapter 6, verse 1, it says literally, the Lord removed the sleep from his eyes. I think those translators feel the same discomfort that I feel. It's God that woke him up. It's God who did this. It's God who caused that passage to be read. Let me give you another example. Look over at chapter 4, verse 14. This is when Mordecai is trying to convince Esther to help. Mordecai says, For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position 
for such a time as this. Again, everything in my personality screams out, Mordecai, tell Esther God puts you in this position. Tell Esther God wants you to do this. Tell Esther God wants to save his people and God has chosen you to be the instrument. But that's not what Mordecai says. Mordecai says, who knows? Perhaps you were put into this position for just such a time as this. Look at Esther's response in verse 15 and following. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. No, Esther, I want you to say this the way Moses says it. I want you to say, be still and know that God will fight for us today. I want you to say, pray and seek the Lord. Surely he will help us. I want Esther to sound like Hannah, who so desperately wants a baby that she prays earnestly, and Eli says, what are you doing? She says, I am begging God to give me a child. I want Esther to sound like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when standing in the same Persian empire, or said Babylonian empire, in captivity, say, hey, look, our God can rescue us from this fiery furnace, and if he chooses not to, that's his choice, but we're not going to worship any other God than our God because he's the true God. That's what I want Esther to say, but that's not what she says. She says, if I perish, I perish. And again, everything in me screams out, where is the mention of God? But then comes the all-important point. He's not mentioned. And he's not mentioned because the Holy Spirit chose not to mention him. Holy Spirit, who is God, who is writing this, could have inserted God anywhere in the story. And yet, chose not to. affirming against my personality that God sometimes speaks of himself in more subtle ways. That God sometimes leaves his actions behind the scenes to have to be searched for. That God in his word is affirming that sometimes speaking about him in more subtle language is what God wants. So let me give you three applications from this point. Number one, how you and I choose to talk about God is a disputable matter, meaning... There are different ways of talking about God in the scriptures. I resonate with people like David or Paul who are regularly inquiring of the Lord and regularly saying things like, God told me I was supposed to go here and God said I was supposed to go here and God gave me this vision and God gave me this dream and God said this and God did this. That's my personality. I like that. 
It's the black and white. It's the I see God, I hear God, I want to talk about God in the terms that they talk about God. And that's a scriptural way to talk about God. But you might have a personality where you resonate with Esther or with Mordecai. And you feel more comfortable talking about God in more subtle ways. Talking about God behind the scenes. Not being so black and white, not being so upfront, not being so declaratory. Maybe you're like, look, I don't know what God's up to, and I don't want to pretend that I can say what he's been saying. I prefer to speak about God in more subtle ways. And the point is, just like I have scriptural affirmations for how I like to speak about God, you have scriptural affirmations for how you like to speak about God, which means how we choose to talk about God is really between us and the Lord. And here's where I might owe you all an apology. If how I talk about God, which is I talk about him in very black and white sort of terms, I use God told me language, I feel like I see God all over the place. If that's caused you to feel like you're not as important to God or you're not hearing from God or you're not engaged with God, I'm sorry for that. Because the truth of the matter is, there are different ways to talk about him. I don't believe that I have required any of you to talk about him the way that I've talked about him. But I am aware that I talk about him to you more than anybody else. And I have a particular way of speaking about him. And the point of the matter is, there are different ways of doing this. And if you have judged others for how they have talked about God, you may need to seek their forgiveness. But different people have different personalities, have different spiritual gifts, have different experiences, have different cultural upbringings, have different ways of looking at the world. And if you're the kind of person who feels comfortable speaking about God in black and white terms, God told me terms, God rescued me, God showed up, God is the awesome. You got lots of scriptural passages that would back that up. Please continue to do so. If you are a person who feels more comfortable speaking about God in more veiled terms, in more subtle ways, in more behind-the-scenes kind of language, may the Lord bless you. Keep talking about him that way. I can't judge you. You can't look down on me. We need to allow ourselves the opportunity to speak about God in the ways that we feel comfortable speaking about God. Application point number two. Speaking about God in more subtle language may be more appropriate when you find yourselves in exile situations. What I mean by that is this. Esther is taking place in Persia, not in Israel. It's not a place where society talks about God in explicit language. It is akin to if you work in a non-Christian workplace or are a member of a non-Christian family or go to a public school. 
Esther is taking place in a situation in which the majority is not Christian. And it may be that if that's the situation where you work or where you live or where you go to school, more subtle language about God's involvement may be a better way to bring God into the situation than very direct, distinct, black and white type language. It may be that if God has put you in a public school, talking about, well, the king happened to wake up in the middle of the night and happened to read the one passage he needed to have read, and that happened to be the turning point for the whole story, that might be a better way of talking about God in the situation in which you find yourself. Third application point of this teaching. Regardless of how you or I choose to speak about God, we must recognize that God is always at work and we need to look for him in the circumstances of life. If you're the kind of person who likes more subtle language, who doesn't feel comfortable talking about God's engagement in your life in very black and white terms, that's perfectly acceptable. However, please don't make the mistake of thinking that somehow God is less involved in your life than he is in the person who speaks in very black and white terms, very God told me or God saved me or God showed up kinds of language. The book of Daniel, which also takes place in the exile. If you read the book of Daniel, God's everywhere. There's a lion's den and a fiery furnace and there's dreams and there's visions and there's prophecies and there's all sorts of prayer and there's all sorts of very black and white God is present kinds of things. But the danger is that you and I could make the mistake of thinking that somehow God is more active in the book of Daniel than he is in the book of Esther and that's simply not true. And so the point is, and this is the most important point, regardless of how you choose to speak about God, please don't make the mistake of thinking that God is not constantly at work in your life. And if it doesn't come as naturally to you to just simply open up the scriptures and hear God speak directly to you through them, or to hear God's still small voice in your prayer time, or to recognize God talking to you in a friend who is conversing with you at this moment, realize that nothing happens by accident in God's world. That all the things going on in the book of Esther, regardless of how you talk about them, God is at work. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That verse does not say, We know that in all things God works for the good for those who use black and white language and talk about God in very stark, explicit terms. No, that verse says, God is at work in all things for all people, regardless of how you talk about them. And one of the dangers in the language that I use 
is that some can think that somehow God is more at work in my life than he is in your life. You may have a spouse that uses the kind of language I use. You may have a child. You may have some coworkers. You may have someone in your small group. And the danger is to think that the person who's using the very explicit black and white sort of language that somehow God is more active in their life. This verse would say that can't possibly be the case. God is ever-present in the book of Esther. God's the one who kicked Vashti out of her position. God's the one who put Esther into her position. God's the one who had Mordecai overhear the plot. God is the one who had the lots cast for the 12th month. God is the one who woke uh, Xerxes up in the middle of the night and read him this passage. God is the one who caused Haman to be the first one to come in that next morning. God is the one who caused Xerxes to return at the moment Haman seemed to be assaulting Esther, the fact that God did not choose to talk about those things in explicit sorts of ways doesn't mean he wasn't at work. And so the most important point to take away is this. No matter how you or I choose to talk about God, God is always at work. And we sometimes need to do the work to look behind the circumstances to see what God is up to.